This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's Good News. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just, once again, are here today as you committed us to be here today. Lord, we pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will speak through us. And as we get into today's text, just acknowledging and knowing full well that you are an active, consistently working, even when we do not see it. And as we just sung in worship uh, during this time that we fast and pray, Lord, may this be the way we fight our battles. Lord, not just a simple once a week gathering and hearing um, uh, someone speak your word and, and uh, worshiping songs, knowing who up the worship. But worshiping Christ is so much more than that. Lord, help us to fight our battles in the way that is honorable to you, in the way that is brave and courageous. Father, will you stand with us in all things? And Lord, that is more than enough. May we acknowledge that and know that today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this series of looking at the Old Testament prophecies, the hope and outcome of it are, as it was mentioned, to have a better grasp of Christology. What is Christology? Well, for those of us that may not recall, the word ology means the study of, and therefore Christology is the study of Christ. And in essence, that is the purpose of this series, as we reflect and study the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. The reason why it is important in addition to this is as the Apostle Peter tells us to be able to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. He says it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ and the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, with all gentleness and respect. Now, the hope is that in throughout this series, that there will be an increasing understanding of Christ. And it won't be for the sake of increasing our intellect, our brain knowledge, and head knowledge. But it is for the sake of increasing our intimacy with Christ, increasing our love for God. This is the outcome, I pray, that will be gained throughout this sermon series and throughout this fast and time of prayer. Because again, the primary concern God has with us is not our comforts, it's not our bank accounts. But it is our hearts. It is our hearts right before him. That is his concern. Comfort is the least on God's mind when it comes to us in our lives. 
Do our hearts reflect his image? Are we conforming to the character of Christ? Because that is our sole purpose here in this life. Today's Old Testament prophecy is that Christ, the forerunner, will come in the spirit of Elijah. What is a forerunner? Well, the definition of a forerunner, if you don't know, is a person that precedes the coming or development of something or someone else. Of someone or something else. One of several places in the Old Testament that describes the forerunner of Christ is found in today's text that was read to you, Malachi, which I'll read. Verse 5, Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord's coming. Verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. It's interesting that I got placed with uh, this text and this prophecy. Because I don't know if many of you remember one of the first sermons I was blessed and fortunate enough to preach out of was actually out of Malachi chapter 4 throughout these verses. You recall, if you don't, it was a while ago, back in November of 2021. In this text, the majority of scholars uh, interpret it as it's describing and referring to John the Baptist, which can also be true. But I hold the view with the minority that it is in reference to not the first coming of the first forerunner, but it's in reference to the second forerunner and the second coming, which has yet to come to pass, which has yet to take place. Regardless of your take on this text, hopefully after today's message, we will see the significance of this being important in the past, presently, and futuristically for us as a church. For God has chosen us to share the gospel to the very end. God has chosen us to share the gospel to the very end. Today's primary text is found in Matthew 11, 10 through 15. Turn with me, if you will, into Matthew chapter 11, verses 10 through 15. Matthew chapter 11, verses 10 through 15. I'm going to take a brief moment to pray real fast and to prompt you to do so again. Um, if, uh, I'll be strong on my own. Father, I do pray, God, that again your word will work. Um, I believe there's been a lot that's transpired this week. There's been a lot of distractions. There are distractions. I confess to you, I'm very distracted. But God, your word is in me. It's your Holy Spirit shall prevail, God. And so no matter how this comes out, God, I just pray it comes out of the way that honors you, Father. Um, and most importantly, God, I pray, Lord, um, that this word that is of you, that I pray is of you, will uh, land and not that you will help us to hear that you will speak every day. In Jesus' name, amen. First point, we must share the gospel to the end in preparation for the second forerunner. We must share the gospel to the end in preparation for the second forerunner. Briefly, I want to go into the context that 
prior to today's text, we know that John the Baptist was in prison. And the reason for his imprisonment that he was thrown there is because of Herod Antipas of Galilee paid his brother a visit in Rome. During Herod's visit to his brother, he seduced his brother's wife. He came home again and dismissed his present wife and married the sister-in-law whom he seduced and lured away from her husband. Publicly and sternly, John the Baptist rebuked Herod for doing this, and Herod, and, it, and Herod took revenge on John and threw him in prison for it. In those times, just like now, but especially in those times, it was never safe as a prophet, as a man of God, to rebuke those in authority, those in royalty, those in kingly position. And while in prison, John became discouraged, and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah. Which is, when we read it, we wonder, why would John do this? Especially if he already announced Jesus as the Messiah, and he's a strong man of God. We'll hopefully talk about that later. But I love the way Jesus responds. He responds in a very unique way. He says this in the verses preceding to our text, in verses 4 and 5, I'm going to read them to you. This is what Jesus says to the disciples of John. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sights and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Good news preached to them. And what I love about this response is Jesus didn't just say, yes, I am, and no, I'm not. He didn't say that. He answered with a very gracious response and a loving response in telling, giving John more than a yes. He shared John with John the results of what was happening in his fulfillment of the Messiah and what he was doing in his ministry. And the reason why I like to imagine, if you haven't still worked on, on your house, in your apartment, uh, my wife, uh, she's doing some of the guys with this HGTV show that I've uh, watched her called Kitchen Crashers, and uh, you've seen it. But imagine if you hired someone to remodel your kitchen, and then you're you know, away, and they're working, and you call them, and you ask them, yo, so how's the remodel going? How's the work going in the kitchen? And then you say, it's going good. And you're like, probably thinking to yourself, okay, uh, I'm told you, I don't know who you are, and you call them the next day, so how's it going? Is it going good? You don't have the time to go visit the kitchen when you're busy. They say once again, oh, it's going good. I think that answer would be sufficient. You would want that person that's remodeling your kitchen to say, yeah, we got the cabinets installed. You got the new sink there. You know what I'm saying? Talk, talking to you about the results. And in a lot of ways, I believe this was Jesus' response. He shared with John to give him comfort and assurance of the results of Jesus fulfilling his role as the Messiah, as the coming one. In this section, we see how the prophets prepared the way for the forerunner, John the Baptist, and why it is essential that we share the gospel in preparation for the second forerunner, because there's going to be a second forerunner when Christ comes. That will announce the, uh, the coming of Christ's second coming. 
And the reason why it's important that we do this, and, and what we say and what we do and how we live is to faithfully cherish the gospel. To faithfully cherish the gospel. Point A, we prepare the way for the second forerunner by faithfully cherishing the gospel. Explain the word cherish. In the word cherish, you cherish something, you protect it, you value it, you care for it, you nurture it, and you nurture, you do all these things faithfully. We all cherish something or someone. And the way to gauge that, what we cherish the most is what we give the most of our time to, the most of our talents to, the most of our energy to. What we give those things to is what we cherish. And much like a field or a garden, right? A garden can't just uh, produce, a uh, field can't just produce crops on its own. It needs to be cherished consistently. It needs to be looked after, it needs to be watered, it needs to be planted. And just like most marriages, even spouses need to cherish one another. Most relationships need to cherish one another, spend time with each other. And we, in the same way, have to have this response to the gospel. So this poses the question, is the gospel cherished? What does it look like in our lives as the church of Jesus Christ to cherish the gospel? I believe that our response to this text in God's Word as a whole ought to be to cherish God's Word, cherish Jesus, and faithfully cherish the gospel. Please read with me verses 10 through 11. Jesus says this about John the Baptist who's in prison and he is served. Verse 10. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there have not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In verse 10, we see that Jesus gives a very direct answer and refers back, as we uh, discussed the prophecy of Malachi, he refers back to the book of Malachi in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, which says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you, in describing John the Baptist in Malachi 1, the coming one, and the fulfillment of the prophecy of John the Baptist being the herald and the one that finally announces and declares the arrival of the Messiah Christ. But see, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say something else pretty significant about John the Baptist. Even though John the Baptist has a moment of possible doubt of Christ as the Messiah, he describes John the Baptist as more than a prophet. See, because John was God's chosen person to not only announce ahead of time, but to finally say, here he is, there he is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He finally, after all the prophecies and all the announcements prior to John, John in addition not only got to announce, but also get to declare he is here, he has come, he has arrived. Imagine that. 
the significant honor that came with the forerunner, John the Baptist. However, Jesus says, even though John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets prior to him, he goes on to say and call John the Baptist not only the greatest, who is pretty great, and all the Old Testament prophets, in my opinion, were pretty great, right? Isaiah, Daniel, King David. But there are ones that are greater than John the Baptist and greater than the Old Testament saints. Verse 11, at the end of verse 11, I'm going to read to you again. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John the Baptist is greater than the Old Testament prophets because he's, he's not experienced the coming and witnessed God incarnate in Christ Jesus. But yet, there is one greater than he. And he says, it's a, even the least of these in the kingdom is greater. He's greater than John the Baptist. So who is he talking about? This poses the question, who is the least referring to? What is greater than a prophet? Before we answer this question, we have to look at the divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even though both are equal in one book, they all point to Jesus Christ. But just as time is divided by the birth of Christ, or organized by the birth of Christ, where it's believed that Christ was born in 0 AD, time is divided that way. So is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, divided in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And all of the Old Testament prophets prophesied of the coming one, of the Messiah. As we just studied in Advent for Christmas, we studied the, 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 the prophecies of Isaiah, of Christ's coming. John, who is considered the last of the Old Testament prophets, not only prophesied of the coming one, but was blessed with immense honor, again, the same as Jesus here. But yes, again, there is one greater than he. It is the least of these. The least of these. So back to the question, who is the least referring to? Well, the least is referring to the least that are greater than John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets in the Old Covenant is those under the New Covenant. Who is under the New Covenant? And what is greater than John the Baptist and all the Old Testament prophets? Who, what is more than a prophet? Well, according to Jesus, those that are under the New Covenant. And who is under the New Covenant? It's the church. It is us. It is you and me. But we don't like to think of the good news and, the, and what we have in Christ. We forget way too easily. If you think and let that thought sit with you, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. It's so undeserving, the gift that you and I have. And you see, what makes us greater in the kingdom of heaven is nothing that we have done. All of our good deeds and our filthy rags is like nothing in comparison to Christ. Our good deeds are like filthy rags 
in comparison to God and his holiness. But we are the greatest in the kingdom because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross through his death and his resurrection and by faith in him as the son of God and have a relationship with him through the person of the Holy Spirit. We are blessed to experience the new covenant in which we now refer to as the gospel. The good news. The good news. Jesus goes on in verse 12 and says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raided. Again, as we talked about the imprisonment of John and the violence that is escalating for John, and then one day, I mean, well, has already passed him, but in this text, futuristically, takes place in the imprisonment and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we know that his ministry, at least here on earth, ended in death, in violence, and then he resurrected. And see, we know, as is prophesied, that one day, for Christ's followers, that the time will come, that we will be sized up and tested for our faith in such a way to the point of violence. And church, are we ready? Do we take hold full well of what we have? Yesterday when I was um, in the prayer meeting with uh, Michelle and a few others, we were talking again that we both we go yesterday was about the fast kingdom coming. Fast and we were talking about how the church is God's plan A. The church is God's plan A. God's plan A is the person we go Therefore, we must cherish the gospel because when we spend time on it, we protect, we cherish, we nurture, especially the minds. But when we basically cherish the gospel by consistently spreading the gospel, we prepare the way for the second forerunner by consistently spreading the gospel. Now I want to make an observation at this point, point B. Consistently spreading the gospel. Not forcefully spreading the gospel. We do not have to take away or add to God's word or the new covenant. Like John the Baptist and the prophet, we just simply have to be messengers. We give the message and what the hearers choose to do with it is between them and God. And I know sometimes we can't stand when people don't receive Christ right away, but that's ultimately between them and God. Listen to what Jesus says in the following verses. Verses 13 to 15. For all the prophets and the law prophesied in, until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. As we know, the Old Testament prophets continue to advance the gospel by consistently speaking of the coming of Jesus. 
And these prophets, in some way, they function, not in some way, they have, they do, they function as precursors or pre-forerunners, right? Before the forerunners of John And let me read to you a few of their declarations and prophecies of that Jesus will one day appear. Micah 5, 2, when you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, one who will be rulers over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Zechariah 9:9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of donkey. You see, all these <coughs> Old Testament prophets talking, declaring doing the ministry of the coming one. And then Jesus said, and so John, listen to, to Matthew, the John Matthew 3, 1 through 3, verse 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And then in tell John, finally gets to declare, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And then everyone after John. Jesus tells us to explain it because they get to experience and articulate fully the gospel, the new covenant. John, who was the greatest of all the prophets, didn't get the one. Your fast, I'm going to try something and see how this goes. It didn't go well after all. I need like four, five hours to do real quick. I don't have my mom's kitchen to record it. Okay. You can come up here. We got four more. 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 Four you guys want to um, are you guys comfortable like this reading of the year? I need a Tell 
Now the person next to him, which is Nathan, and Nathan will tell the person next to him, Katie, and Katie will tell the person next to her, which is Becca, what it means exactly. Okay? You guys gotta tell each other, and we can't hear. Elijah, incarnate. 
Another reason is John was a man that lived in the wild and wilderness, like Elijah. Another reason, uh, third reason, is they both bore the responsibility of rebuking those in kingly authority of their sin. John rebuked Herod, and Elijah rebuked King Ahab over his idolatry and marriage to King Jezebel. Finally, the fourth reason, they too both became discouraged. As great men of God, as great prophets that they were, they were just men. They were just human beings like you and I. And Elijah had to hide in the cave for three years because Queen Jezebel was having prophets killed left and right. And as we just pointed out, John was thrown into prison. A lot of similarities between both these prophets. But we know that even despite this, that the kingdom is met with physical violence as a result to the spiritual realm, as a result to the spiritual warfare, which is more of a reality than the physical. But we tend to live more in the physical realm than in the spiritual. And you know what? If you want to try and change that, I want to take this as an opportunity to pray. The biggest thing, join us in this. If you're not part of this prayer, this time of prayer, join us in it. Because that will increase your sensitivity and your step in, in the spiritual realm in accordance with God's word. So, but even though it is met with violence, Jesus doesn't try and push his gospel forcefully. Who is God? Who is omnipotent? Who does know our thoughts? He doesn't force himself upon us. Let me read to you verse 15 again. Whoever has ears, let them hear. We, again, are messengers. And even though the gospel not be received by many as messengers and pharaohs of the kingdom of God, it isn't up to us on how well it is received. We just simply have to give the message. That is our sole responsibility, church, to our children, to our neighbors, in order that the gospel may advance from generation to generation. Often in the New Testament, I like the way Jesus and um, the Apostle Paul illustrates evangelism. He illustrated often like as a field, right? And uh, I'm going to read to you briefly what the Apostle Paul says. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3. What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollo's watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who makes things grow. You can't make the gospel grow in our neighbor. You can't make the gospel grow within that lost soul we share in the workplace or on the streets. It's up to God. You just have to deliver the message. We are heralds, heralds, announcers. We announce, we, we proclaim the message of Christ. And you know, something I've always wanted to do, um, and I don't know if we'll do this, this is not something I think, I would have thought of for some time, is like, in order for us to get a whole perspective of evangelism, for us to like plant a tree, plant a garden, 
like like you know out in the um, the, the area of what is it we have the outside and the lot and um and just like each of us take turns and taking pictures and watching the progress of the transformation as we nurture those crops and nurture whatever we plant, whether it's a tree, whether it's a tomato, whether it's a fruit tree, and we all take turns and observe planting this and seeing that as we nurture these plants and these crops, that all we have to do is nurture and be consistent. It's the same thing with the gospel. Because in the same way, physically, it's only God that makes it grow. Only God that makes it grow. For whoever has ears, let him hear and faithfully cherish the gospel by consistently spreading the gospel. So some questions for reflection. First question, how do we as a church, how have we not cherished the gospel individually and as a corporate church? Well, I think often what it comes down to is we don't realize what we have. We don't cherish the gospel enough. Unlike John the Baptist, we get to, again, articulate Christ fulfilling the law, that he took our place on the cross and for, for our sin, and three days later, he rose from the dead. That he is the Son of God, and that by faith in him, we will have an eternal relationship with him in this life and the life to come. The veil is torn, and God's presence no longer resides in the building and the select few, but in his people. His presence resides in his people who place their faith in him as Lord and Savior. We have the Holy Spirit, as it's written in Romans, who intercedes on our behalf, who implants in us the gifts to serve in our role, to give us purpose, to serve in our call. God has a calling in our life. God has called you because he has chosen you. We also have the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to make us new, not only just by being born again, it doesn't stop there, but by overcoming sin and being sanctified day after day into the image of Christ. We also have the living, physical form of his word to study, to memorize, to meditate, to read. The New Testament prophets didn't even have this, but we do. God has entrusted us with so much because of him and for him. And with much is given, much is required. And the least of us is greater than the Old Testament prophets. Then John the Baptist. Because of what we've been given. I think it was Spider-Man that said, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? We didn't trust him so much. We don't think about our salvation enough in that way. And you see, and even when we become discouraged and we're in those deepest, darkest valleys in life that enter into a deep, dark place of discouragement, we have to remember, so too did the prophets Elijah. So too did John the Baptist while he was in prison. Yet even despite this discouragement, despite being down in the dumps and having a moment of doubt of who Christ is, Jesus says this about John, and it's very powerful. I don't know if you caught it, so let me read it to you. 
just to make sure that you caught it. In the beginning of verse 10, he says this about John. He says, this is the one. This is the one. God did not make a mistake in choosing John. And so too, when you are discouraged, when life hits you, and you feel like you are failing, God appointed you for a task. And he says, you are the one that he has chosen. Therefore, we must be responsible to one another to teach others in our lives, in our examples, in our words, in our deeds, to cherish gospel. If I could be a little transparent with you in my household, something my wife Katie and I had to face with our kids is uh, for some reason they become very prep, uh, prep, uh, preferential in what they eat. So much so that they expect, I have four boys, but they all expect Katie to cook four individual meals, four individual specific meals. And so we were talking to them about it, and it's coming from sermons. And for a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons that it becomes concerning is because Katie and myself, we came from very poor upbringings. We didn't have much to eat. We didn't have very options, any options. What was put in front of you, we ate. And that's a principle the teacher was trying to teach our son now. So pray for us, please. <laughs> but in addition to, say, to saying that, like my wife, she grew up here in Humble Park, and there was a time where her family, her parents, encountered a financial difficulty, financial hardship, and they became so difficult that they barely had anything to eat for dinner, and all they had left to eat was popcorn. That was their dinner. And then Katie looks at our kids, and she's making them meals, with that in mind, like our kids need to realize what they have. And it's our responsibility as their parents, as the older generation, to teach them. To teach them. And so too, we have to be taught and reminded of what we have in the gospel of Christ. There shouldn't be this discontentment. We have so much. And going back to this illustration of, of a generation, something I want to point out to is each generation that's before the generation after has a responsibility. There's a responsibility. So if something's messed up in the world presently, then the generations before us bear some of that responsibility. My sons grow up and do not follow God and are very worldly and sensual people, then I, as their father, as a generation before them, bear that responsibility. Whether I did a good job or not, it's my responsibility to teach them, to show them, to appreciate them. Last question, question two. Why is it essential to continue sharing this gospel despite rejections? Now here's why. Because the gospel isn't about you. The gospel isn't about me. It's not about us. It's about something so much bigger. And when we get rejected, we get too into our feelings. We get hurt. We get scared. But it isn't about us. 
after Jesus shared this word about John the Baptist in the text after he got rejected, that comes with the territory. You and I will get rejected. We have to expect it, but we still have to give the message regardless. That is our role. That is our responsibility as free forerunners. Because one day, as it says in Revelations chapter 11, the second forerunner will come. And it is our responsibility as the church, which Jesus himself said is greater than the prophets of old, greater than the Old Testament, because of what we've been entrusted with. To prepare the way for the pre forerunners church. That is our responsibility. And in his second coming, he's not coming as a man, he's coming as a mighty to make all things right, with the rod to chastise nations. And in the fullness of his might, no sin will remain, and no darkness will exist, as it says in Malachi chapter. And we, church, listen to what First Peter said. Peter says about us in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, for your own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. May we proclaim this message, for God has chosen us to share the gospel to the very end. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we confess, Lord, that we lose sight of everything you have given us. Lord, I pray as we fast and we begin this new year, and as we take on the name as a local body of good news, that we will remember the importance of the good news of Christ and why that is so important and what we possess in Christ. We possess so much. And yet, Lord, we limit ourselves by limiting you. Lord, I pray, Father, that we will not make it about us and look to you. The one who is, who was, and is to come. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewsshine.org.